good evening again to this indic book club uh, open house with otis and uh, you uh, we invite you and anyone who's uh, going to be watching this when we put uh, this uh, session out, up on youtube if you are interested in writing and improving your writing then uh, uh, as part of indic academy and indic book club we invite you to send in a short 750 to 800 word piece to otis and uh, the link is available on the indic academy website you can also ping us on twitter at indic book club if you don't have the link and uh, send it as a pdf document uh, double spaced uh, and as i said 750 to 800 words in length and uh, uh times new roman font size 12 again send it as a pdf it makes it easier for otis to to uh, annotate and send it back to you and then what happens on sunday is that uh, he picks up these pieces and will give some specific feedback as well as cover the broader points of writing and uh, the craft of writing and the other aspects of uh, what makes for good writing so uh, that's what we do every week and after a few days uh, uh, you know the time it takes for the recording to process and for us to find the time to upload it we put this up on youtube so all of the previous uh, more than i think 25 sessions are up on youtube and with that i will turn this over to you otis uh, how many sessions were what how did you say i think we began these sessions if i am not mistaken sometime in november and we have been doing them pretty much very regularly except for a couple of weeks of break during the year end and then during spring break so i would suspect we are at about 25 i can look up the exact number but uh, we are in somewhere in the 20s wow that's great um okay um yeah well welcome we uh, i'm i'm going to do a little uh beating of the drums uh for submitting some more work i uh those of you i totally appreciate you coming and ashvani i'm looking at you <laughs> um in the background uh in jane listening but i really really want to encourage you to go ahead and write something and submit it it really you know honestly it's really better if you don't you know like don't work it over too much don't feel so committed it has to be exactly that just draft something and hand it in it becomes something that we can work with i have found uh in my in my lifetime of experience doing workshops and and working with writers works that sometimes the more that they've worked on it the more they also are to actually thinking about it because they've committed all that time and the the thing about writing a little bit too is that and i've done this you know i've written things and i've reworked them and when i write things and rework them and i come up with my ideas about what i've done you know to justify what i've put on the page and i've really worked through that that's generally a mistake <laughs> that's generally a mistake um this might sound kind of strange but i don't think thinking and writing necessarily have that much to do with each other 
That might be an interesting to say. Writing, the best writing ideal is not an exercise of thinking. It's an exercise of imagination and thinking. So Otis, yeah. that's, a, that's a very uh, provocative and I think very interesting statement. Now, uh, now let's, let's suppose that one is not writing a short piece, but if one is writing a long piece, a novella, a full-length novel, for instance, then there are broadly two schools of thought. One is the one that says that begin with the end in mind and have a plot ready, an outline ready, so you know uh, broadly what you want to write, where your twists are, and what your, your uh, narrative arc is. The other one is, uh, which says that, you know, let the thought flow freely, don't uh, constrain yourself with the plot and all. There's some authors who go by that very successful ones. Uh, uh, Lee Child for one says that he, he never plots, he just starts writing. Now, if you take the first one, right, where I plot things and I know where my story is going, then the art of uh, you know, then, then then writing becomes more of, okay, this is what I want to write. It becomes more mechanical in some sense. I am build, bringing in my own creativity to particular narrative scenes or descriptions or dialogue, but pretty much I know where my story is going. On the other hand, it becomes, I mean, does the, you know, the fact that you have to write and also think about where your story is going, does that tend to hamper the flow of writing? Um, we're, we're, we're right into like the next point of like, uh, difficulty. So I was actually <clears throat> writing this morning about this. Um, there's, I feel like there's sort of two, two essential sides kind of, and they, they come together. There is the side of making things and then there's the side of being right so when i talk about not thinking and writing I'm talking about trying to be right so that unbiased almost non-present creative conduit okay so this is that goes along the school thinking of like john says talks about negative capability um t.s Eliot talks about uh, personality, or um, he talks about the story, in his case, the poems usually, but he talks about the story or the poem being a catalyst in which the author themselves are burnt up like a, like a strip of magnesium in the action, um, in, in the catalyzing moment, in a sense, that that, that that author disappears. When we're talking about plotting we're talking about a person who's making right so the thing is if we're making let's say we have it all plotted out like you say we know the ending then we're also not doing something which is discovering because we all know what's going to happen so I have generally viewed that, I mean, my, <clears throat> my feeling of the process is that 
what we want is we want to gather things and pressurize them to a catalyst in which we don't know what we don't know what's on the other side of that catalyst. So that's how I think about constructing. I mean, that's a that's a kind of a weird way to think about constructing it, but really to just gather these forces together and make sure that I'm continuing to pressurize them as they're up. You know, we think about the emotional roller coaster rising and escalate catalyst. From that point, I don't know what's going to happen. I think having that energy of creating a catalyst and creating a discovery is the kind of thing that might allow us to actually write something that transcends to the level of art. To plot it out, some people do, with extreme, um, to know everything that's happened and to also know the emotional cues that you're going to make. Let's say you're drawing upon, you know, Campbell's uh, hero's journey and you make sure that you have the meeting with the, the you know, the, whatever, the dark night of the soul and the commitment and whatever. You do all those things. So that's sort of, in, in a sense, I don't mean this disparagingly, it's, it's craft. But um, you know, one of one of my mentors would have called that hack writing, right? You, all you're doing, you're a hack. You're you're like you're saying it's mechanical. <laughs> you know, it's it's a. Um, I think it's a really great thing to think about, and the way I think about it is, I don't. It becomes about the quality of the writer's life in a sense. How to live your life. Do you write something mechanical? Some people certainly learn those skills and are able to do them and they reproduce them. I think about the movies are a great deal of this, but every story is. I mean, that we have these two sides. We have the mechanical execution of writing techniques and story tech that can achieve the effects of a story, as in like. I don't know. I, I, I have a, like a, a kind of hack-like movie that we've all, but, you know, most romantic comedies, for example, you know, just fulfill these standards. Um, or do we want to live a life in which we personally, and this is where I side, where we use, we personally use writing ourselves, not only to produce a work, but to transform ourselves in the process of creating the work. That's a long answer. Um, and so we have to make our decisions about that. And I think that it actually ends up being something of a balance. We have a ideally have a balance point, both doing the things that we do in terms of plotting and directing and making, right? And we're able to access this state of being also. Does that, does that make a little? So I sometimes, sometimes it like this. And I also think it's a process of doing it a lot, right? So we get better at this process because as we learn the form of story and how to use language in order to create certain effects, and we do that a lot. And basically I'm talking about doing a lot of type. 
right? As we do, I sometimes describe our writing process as creating a lucid dream. So as you say, like, you know, so we're, we're in a kind of dream state, but we also are directing that dream a little bit. If you're talking about plotting Abhinav, then you're directing that, that theme a little bit, but you also have certain like way mark trying to hit, you know, like you're like, <laughs> it's probably, oh, got it, you know, who I meant, you know, and then you're like, you're trying to hit those markers. Um, Very true. Very true. It's, it's it, like, uh, what's it sport uh, that you play on uh, horseback? You, you, you're supposed to, uh, you know, ride on horseback and then <laughs> and polo and, and, and you know, uh, yeah, you just, uh, you know, pray you don't end up hitting the, the horse's legs instead. Yeah, exactly. We got that horse around. Um, it's uh, it's really interesting, actually. I mean, this is this is just coincidental that you're bringing up the horse and the horse and the rider. But I recently, um, I, I recently heard the expression that you know, when it was here on on Indic, but we can't really control the rider, the cognitive, you know, that, you know, that's a difficult thing to control, like when we get upset or sad, but we can try to control the horse. And they say like through breathing or something like that, we can, we can control the, the animal in a sense. Um, what we're talking about with plotting, and when you bring up the polo, when we're talking about plotting, it's sort of like we're trying to control the horse with the rider, right? We're trying to control the horse as it moves with the intellect. I'm not positive, you know? I mean, this is, this is you know, we're, we're talking about things very hyperly. The real way to discover all of these things is just to keep typing and to keep working on it. That's the, that's the real way to do it. Um, but but our writing, I believe, pretty, pretty sincerely, that there's not a point where it becomes suddenly easy. It should always, it is always a struggle of these forces, the, these very forces that you're bringing up. The person who's the maker and the person who is the open conduit for experience. The, the ego and, you know, the individual ego, the rest of the world. This is exactly where we should be working and we should be thinking about our work in this way. And we should, this is a further point, we should embrace and be happy with the struggle of it, if that makes sense. Like, we shouldn't be thinking like, oh, there's something here. If we just went to this side, we would be, we would be perfect and happy and there would be no struggle. We plotted it all out and we just wrote, that was great. Or that it could be completely on this other side where we're just completely lost in the imagination. It's always gonna be a struggle between the two. When we embrace that it is gonna be a struggle as two forces, we will be a happier writer. And for that, I always remind myself of what Mike, I don't know if you know Mike Tyson, he was a very famous boxer here in the United States. Yeah. He said, there's nothing more dangerous than a happy fighter. And that's how I think about this struggle as a writer, right? If we are involved in this struggle between these two forces and we can be happy, 
we're going to be a very dangerous writer. Uh, great, great question. Um, it is not, the moment we find that writing is easy should also be the moment we realize we're not doing enough. <laughs> so anyway, back to encourage all to please, if, if you're here today, try and get in 50 words in uh, for, for our meeting next week and just take the chance getting used to as a writer so they're so they're so useful in the workshop setting getting used to writing first our first problem is we think stuff and we have this difficult transforming what we think the platonic i'll call it the platonic idea imagine in our mind is so great and then the difficulty of putting it as shadows on the wall in terms of our writing right and actually putting it in a physical way that's a very difficult transition. So that is definitely the first step for to get very used to taking stuff in our mind. Forget about thinking stuff. Forget about imagining it. If you're not typing, just rest. That's what I would suggest. Just try to rest your mind otherwise. But when you sit down at the typewriter, try and let it flow. So that's a great, that's a great step. But now that you've produced it, it is also an incredibly important step to go ahead and put it out there in the world to some degree and accept the perfect thing that you're working on and that other people also recognize that it's an imperfect thing that you're working on. And there is no completed writing. Hemingway said, work is ever finished, only abandoned. So everything is a work in progress. Try, do everyone, do try and make the little step. I mean, I know, I, I feel like I'm getting a reputation being tough, which is far truth. I, I had, I went, I went to an MFA program. One of the professors were tough. Okay, this is, this is what, this is what one of the professors said. He said, we were, we, we all read the work, right? And we we're all sitting around a table. He said, I would rather have off both hands at the wrist than write this paragraph. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> so. So I'm not tough. I'm tough. <laughs> I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of, I know what he was in me. Otis, it sounds like you want to have written. Same guy. He taught me a lot. Okay. Um, this week, um, we have, we have one piece. Um, and if I can figure out my technology, we might have time to do a, another little thing illustrated. I want to find a way to draw some things on my iPad and maybe show them to you. And, and we'll have to see if I can do that or not. But uh, Ram, we have yours uh, this week. And uh, tell us a little bit about it.
Ram, I know you're here. He's there. Let's tend to unmute. In case he's stepped away. And he's not. So I think he's probably having some connection issues. Oh, okay. I, in, in fact, I had one piece that I wanted to send and for some reason I didn't. And I guess I'll have to send it uh, for next week. Um, I don't know what happened to Ram. Well, maybe in the in the meantime, let me let me try and uh, um, this will work. Oh yeah, I have this thing about trusting. Trust this computer. Trust. Are you seeing my Are you seeing my iPad by any chance? It's saying you started screen sharing, but nothing's showing. Yeah, I get the same message. Hmm, I really want a, a whiteboard point that I can use my magic pen with. Um, well, it's saying connect, connect it. I've done that. When prompted, select trust, but Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop that share. That did not work. Does Ram come back? Mm, not yet. I've been trying to call him. I've been able to get through on his mobile oh. or on WhatsApp. Oh. Or on all. He's not picking up anything. Okay. Probably some network issue. Probably some I just spoke to Ram. His internet has a problem. He says he'll be online in two minutes. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try uh, um, something else then and see if this will work. I don't know if this will work. Okay. So.
I'm I'm trying to use my notability. Unfortunately, I I have to draw on my pad and then. Um, yeah. It's, okay. Uh, this no, is yeah, because you Right. Yes. Okay. Great. <laughs> okay. So, um, and let's see if so. So basically, um, I was thinking about, um, because I, I tend to think about people's work, you know, sometimes when I'm sitting around, I'm making my tea, I'm listening to music. I don't know. I, I, I kind of can't really turn it off. But one of the things that I've been thinking is we all, I, I, when I think of my own generation as a writer, I think when I first started writing, I thought that I was going to write something that was a stat law truth. That's what I, that, that was sort of my objective. I was like, I know truth is what I thought. I was, how old was I? Ashwani, how old were you when you knew what the truth was? You know, 18, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> when you're young, you think you know things in a way that you just never will again. And, and I thought that I was going to write the truth of things as a kind of block, this sort of static thing. It took me a long to get over that, okay? That was maybe 30 or 40 years before I recognized that I was not writing truth. But what I was writing instead were stories, which are basically actions, they're events, Right. And they also depict sometimes they might be nonfiction or it might even be an argument of some kind. But... Oh, okay. Hi, Ron. My internet is uh, well, we're gonna you got me on to something else now, so we're gonna have to delve into this just for a little yeah, yeah, while. Sure, sure. Go ahead. So 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 the um so I moved from the idea that I was writing some kind of statics, and for some reason I don't know why. I had so much trouble because I thought this stories or what I wrote as being this kind of block. I thought of it as being static, right? And it took me a long time to recognize that I'm not making something that's static, right? And maybe it's like a sense of like analyzing literature and, you know, that's what we do in, in school. We read something and say, this is what it means. So it's something like this and you say it means that. That's kind of, to me, that's such a notion now. What we're doing I mean, when we're writing something, we have, all these, we have all these words, right? It's basically a linear event. What happens is we have a reading event that takes place through time. When we write a story, I have someone, you'd have to someone find is in the background. Okay. Um, so, we have all these words that are basically linear. When a reader reads it, they also read in time like this. And when we write a story, we're also depicting something that takes place in time. So when I was writing a story, writing a static truth, what I was doing was I was writing an act that takes place through time. Does that make a little sense? So from that point, 
from understanding a little bit that I was writing an action that takes place through time, I also then understood after that that I had to I had to write something that had a rhythm and a modulation in order to create an actual experience. Because even though I could write an action from A all the way to B, right? If it's just a flat, unmodulated experience, in a sense, it's almost like no experience. So what I had is I had to write something that was modulated, right? That had a modulated, essentially, I would write about different things, but what was I modulating? I was actually modulating the reader's emotional reaction to the experiences that I was writing. That's because without emotional modulation for the reader, they're actually not experiencing anything. That's a flat line. I don't, I hope that makes a little bit of sense. So without, oh, good. Oh, no. Oh, good. Oh, no. Oh, good. Oh, no. Just like life, if we didn't have the, oh, great. Oh, no. If we didn't have that, we would just be on a flat line, not truly having any experience. It could be all bad. That's not an experience. Or it could be all good. That's experience either. You modulate between the two. So that's the first picture that I'm showing you here. Uh, let's see if I can. Look, there's that yellow, that yellow piece came up. So anyway, this is showing that emotional But um, we also understand, I'm not sure I'm gonna try and do this with my mouse. So the emotional roller coaster, I'm just gonna try and fit it in here. It actually has to escalate Right, sorry about that being so horrible. But so instead of this line just going across like this, it actually has to go an emotional roller coaster that escalates essentially to a climax of some kind. When I was talking to Abhinav about gathering the, the things together and catalyzing them at the end, basically creating a crucible of experience that from which something occurs, or as T.S. Eliot says, it's a, it's a catalyzing event in which the author disappears, meaning in a sense for him, the author is no longer creating or controlling anything going on. They're done. And instead we just have the discovery, the, the new thing. We go into a new territory. Even the writer themselves goes into a new territory, an undiscovered country in a sense in terms of their own thinking, their own sense of enlightenment, all of these things are, are here at the end. So we create the emotional roller coaster that moves like up to that uh, catalyzing experience. But this is what I was thinking about yesterday. <laughs> that um, I was, I got an email from someone, you know, and, and they were saying something about their work and I was thinking about their work and maybe I was thinking about other people's work too. And then as I think about that person's work and someone else's work, and I think about my own work and what makes for good work, 
this. And I'm kind of a visual person because I am always thinking, how can I explain this to other people? Because these are things that I believe either correctly or completely erroneously that I'm self already, right? But I want, if I'm doing them, I want to do them even more. But I wanted to suggest something about amplitude. Okay, so, right, so we have this, right, emotional roller coaster. It's still just one line kind of going like this. But I don't think that the story is just one line. I think what we actually have, if you think about it like a sound, right, coming at you, it actually has amplitude sometimes and then less amplitude, more amplitude and less amplitude. So as the reader is reading, they're hearing something loudly and then it's softly, loudly, softly, loudly, softly, loudly. Amplitude story. What that means is that we're focusing and demanding more attention sometimes from the reader and times we slack that need for attention. Does that make a little sense? We blow things up, we diminish. We blow things up, we diminish. We blow things up and we diminish. So I had that thought. So I drew this, um, this drawing here. So that's amplitude, less amplitude. More amplitude, less amplitude. These are, both of these things are, so amplify, less, amplify less, right? If we look at this, I'm gonna say that these things that we're amplifying, it's not completely this, but it's an emotion. It is both a thing, it's both the thing that we put on the page, but also the emotion that inspires in the reader and having those two things work together to create a kind of amplification. And then we diminish that attention and then we go back and we amplify again. One way to think about how we do this is we write and then this here, the less amplitude is summary. Sorry, it's still an S, right? So scene, but we'll just say summary. Then we're gonna have another scene and so we see that the thing of less amplitude is just a transition, but an important one, okay? So we have a scene, we have a summary, we have a scene, we have a summary, we have a scene, etc. So now we're going amplitude, scene, diminished. So if you know, um, isn't it Forte? Someone who plays the piano can tell me. Forte is force. Piano is yeah. soft. Okay, so we have forte, forte in scene, piano in summary training. Forte in scene, piano in summary training. That's also creating an experience and a rhythm in the story. So I think it's important because right now, Let's say, I, I don't like to cast, you know, wide net, but let's say, you know, some of the work that we're seeing in, in our workshop together doesn't have, it does forte and piano. It just has 
block. You know, it has a little bit of that that quality that that I was talking about, you know, in my early writing. I thought of writing as being a kind of static truth that I was going to write down on the page. I'm recognizing that it was a that it was an event that took place through time, and then to add to it a dynamic event that took place through time. It must be a dramatic event that takes place through time or otherwise it will not be an experience for the reader. So, okay, so what do we say? Uh, so I'm gonna put F here instead. It's forte piano, <laughs> forte piano. Okay. Ow. Oh, I have a, <laughs> this, I have a question. Yeah, yeah, DT. Does the piano part always have to be summary or could you have a scene that's just lighter and maybe it's like a B story or, or something else as a, as a contrast or it should kind of just be summary between between scenes? Okay, Aditi, I think it's great that you're asking a question because I think that some of your work has actually inspired some of these thoughts about it. Um, it's... We want to try and create some kind of quality in the language that suggests its diminishment, right? So if we have just a collection of, you know, I walked into the store, I walked into the back, I grabbed the milk, I went to the counter, I went to the, I went home and here, I went, you know, like if we're doing that, no matter what we're doing, it's the same, it um, will be monotonous. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing, if it's the same, it's monotonous. There's not, it can be all forte, it can be all piano. All I'm saying that we have to have an appreciable difference somehow between the forte and the piano that the, that the reader can perceive. One way to do that is to create, I mean, we've talked before about how scene is, and we should think of it this way, I think, scene is, Specific characters in action in specific time and location. That's a scene. Mm -hmm. But even in the scene, we should have some kind of, right? I'm not, it's not, we're not just horns shouting at us and then whatever, and, and horns and an oboe. The scene has a shape too, mm -hmm. right? The scene has a shape and, and a sense of amplitude. It's not, it's going, whoa, you know, right? It's, it's, it's dynamic movement. So we want to think about creating our scene, and then we need to do something to let the reader know that we're going into something that's not, that is quieter. Anyway, mm -hmm. let, I guess I'm just sort of saying, I don't want, I can't say exactly how you do it. And that, I mean, that's, this is language. It's, um, it's language, it's music, it's, it's, it's more complicated than to create strict rules on I feel, I feel that, that that could possibly diminish our, our art. But now I had something else. So I was looking at this and then I was thinking to myself, huh, this, <laughs> because, because I was thinking about the A story, I was thinking about, well, I wonder if you can sort of write, like at, at first what I did was I was like, is this the B story, right? The B story. And this is the A story. I was trying to put these things together. And so I'm not trying to act like it all makes sense. Um, I just, 
whatever this is the way I'm thinking. But I'm like, well, that doesn't really go along with the emotional roller coaster because the emotional roller coaster is kind of funny and weird. And I was also thinking about what motivates us. So I put I put a emotional roller coaster on the A story, right? Where it rises. And I put an emotional roller coaster on the B story. And when I did this, this is a little bit separate from the amplitude. Okay, but I'm gonna add the amplitude to it in a minute and then we're gonna be amazed. It's like a, this is like some extended magician's trick that I'm, that I'm concocting here. I thought that, you know, as the story is moving along, what we end up doing is we end up emphasizing the A story sometimes, right? And then it moves towards the story that we have. So we're actually, some of the emotional modulation is to deal with the A story, what the character wants, usually a kind of material aim of the character. Like Bonnie, I all go to Bonnie and Clyde and I go to Bonnie a lot. So Bonnie wants money. Right, so that's the A, so A story is robbing the bank. But then we move in the story to create emotional modulation to the B, right? Which is, she really wants esteem and love and connection. So that's the picnic scene with Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde, there. And then they go rob a bank again, right? And then they go have another picnic and then they rob a bank and they have another picnic. I'm just, um, but then I also thought about character motivation. And <clears throat> first I was thinking that in a sense, the A story motivation is a motivation towards joy. And I thought of the B story motivation towards joy, right? So joy, sorry if I'm gonna write this like this and away from fear. So that's what I did at first. Sorry, I can't write with my mouse. Um, anyway, that's what I thought at first. But then I was like, no, I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's right. Because yes, in a way that's towards joy, but in a way this is towards joy too, right? That picnic. So what there is, there's this module from fear is towards joy. But then there's fear up here towards joy. And it's going like, that. what is the thing that's pushing the character towards the other pole? What's pushing them back and forwards, I was thinking. And then I was like, oh my God, that seems to make a kind of sense to me, a kind of crazy sense about character motivation. That when we go into the point of joy, that we start to become afraid and now we go towards the other thing. Oh, I have all this money, you know, I'm, I'm getting the thing that I want. I'm completely happy. No, it's not going to work. It drives me towards the other thing, the other joy, the other pole, right? And then we get too close to that love and connection and that's frightening and obliterating perhaps. And then we drive towards the material aim again. I like this. I like this kind of discussion about characters. Um, but I wanted 
to continue to use this idea of amplitude. <laughs> I, was, I was still stuck. I like this idea of amplitude that I had. So I'm like, how does the idea of amplitude? And then this, oh, I also wrote here, you see fear. So it's like on the side of the emotional roller coaster is fear all the time. And I'll tell you the truth that this made me think about a story that I always think about so often is Icarus, right? The sun, there's a fear, that thing that we see up there that we think is all good and great and we want to aspire to. Well, if we get too close to it, it actually isn't that good for us, mm. right? So I put the sun up here, right? Is that thing that we look towards and aspire towards, but you know what? If we go far, it actually burns us up. And I put under here fear as water because that's the other side of Icarus's story, right? Icarus is flying in here in, the, in life. And uh, Daedalus tells Icarus, do not fly close to the sun because the wings will melt. Daedalus also says, don't fly too close to the water because your wings will become saturated with moisture and you will fall. In cases, you're going to fall. I thought that that was really, but I just put that in my head. And to understand sort of the movement of character up towards the operational sun, but then also towards, let's face it, right? The sun, the life-giving sun, let's call it, but also let's call it the life-giving water, call it. Also say the sun in extreme death and the water in extreme death. Um, I like that. Just give me a second here. Let's draw this picture. I'm going to go here. Oh, shoot. Sorry. <laughs> okay, this is change. Let's see if that works. Oh, this is terrible. Ah, it's a terrible picture. Gosh, I don't even want to use it. Oh, I know what I need to do. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry about this picture I just wrote. Uh, okay, so... I'm going to do this. So we have, so I'm going to continue A and B story that looks like this, right? So you see, oh my gosh, sorry. Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to work with this technology to make this make a little bit of sense. I just want to get rid of that. Okay, so I'm going to go back to here. And so we're going to see that I have these two, the A and the B story moving. This is the character movement throughout. But I want to add this idea of amplitude. So I'm going to go ahead and show that this 
right? These are the transition. When you're rising up, you're amplifying. When you rise to the height of that, let's say the A story, you want to amplify that point. Now you're going to turn downward towards the B story. This is a piano section, that transition in between. And then you want to again amplify in section. Does that make sense? So we rise up to the A and it gets louder. Then we're going to transition piano <laughs> down to the B story. And we want to have amplitude there too. And then we rise up and we have amplitude. So in a sense, we have, if we have Bonnie, we're going to go, we're going to get into the bank. We're going to get to the point and she's going to, you know, you know, for the bank manager to open up the, and she's going to see the money amplitude. They take the money, they're going to go blah, 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 and they're going to escape by the car. And then they're going to get to the picnic. And in the picnic, they're going to have the sardines and they're going to have this, that, and other thing. And then at a certain point, I, I have sardines. Sorry, I go to these details. And Clyde passes the sardine and, and uh, Bonnie takes it and their fingers touch. Amplitude. Then they finish up the picnic and then they go and they rob another bank with the amplitude again. That's how the two of them go together, I think. And so that's a lot to take in, but for the writing, so I'm gonna go back to, you know, really where I started, I, I wrote this way for for many years, <laughs> well, I probably still way, but I mean, what what was it? I was, wrote my first story when I was thirteen to you know forty seven, right? I was like, I'm going to write truth. I'm going to write this static truth, and everyone's going to be amazed, and they're going to you know Otis wants to, they're going to be amazed, and they're going to say, Otis, you are a genius for writing the truth. Thank God, someone finally came along and did it. I'm going to say, I know, right? <laughs> so I thought I was going to do that. And then I started to say that that wasn't my job at all. That my job instead was to try to witness and recreate in a kind of verisimilitude that makes some kind of sense what life is, which is this journey through time, as cliched as it might sound, a journey through time that has certain kinds of, we can call it salient, salient amplification, salient amplification in order to experience that shows us this arc of character that moves, moves the character to a transformative experience in that catech, that, um, catalyst, right? A climactic moment. They are transformed into a new territory. And with them, the reader goes into that new territory as well. And if we, and this is going back to what we were talking about uh, with Abhinav, if we do our work well, we actually also go into that new territory. We're trying to create this catalyst. And so when I think of gathering, I just want to say, I, I want you to gather the A story elements 
that will be escalating, the B story elements that will be escalating, but also think about the emotional amplitude in each of those places. Make sure that you write it in such a way that the reader understand that it has amplitude. So this is why I write, you know, I write in the A section with Bonnie. Um, uh, Bonnie went to the bank, five shots into the ceiling and said, get down everybody, this is a bank robbery. Where's the manager? Come over here, open up that bank. The bank manager came, he undid the thing, he did this and opened the door. Bonnie looked inside. At first it was darkness, but as the light of the bank and the front windows flooded the vault, it was a glow of green, a green glow that told her this is her final point of arrival. To immerse, right? You know, I'm whatever, I'm just waxing poetic now, right? I want to make sure that the amplitude is there, right? So that to understands what it is that's going on character as she's moving from there. And then when I go down, transition down into the B story and I have their picnic, open up, you open up the tin of sardines, right? Sardines, um, rolled back to, uh, picked up the oily fish and gestured towards Bonnie. Bonnie looked at the fish. It was disgusting and oily. Its little eye looked at her. Dead completely. She reached out, touched it, slick. Their hand, right? So I'm sorry, creating an amplitude with that. And then we'll see what the next one is. And Abhinav, going back to the idea of plotting, am I plotting that? Do I plot that opening up of the, of the vault? Do I plot the sardine moment we call it? I don't think I can. I don't think I can, I, I don't think I can say, well, I, I think I can say they, they robbed the bank. They have, a, but I, I want us to add, you know, add our emotional, we have to add our heart, right? Our heart, our imaginative heart to the character to understand what has emotional amplitude also. That's my little speech today. Just some things to think about, and let's uh, let's talk about Rom's work. Whew. I thought that was pretty good, though, right? I mean, I, that's what that like that came upon me. Yale, I served. You, I was. Uh, I was actually writing about it this morning because it's so funny. I have a I have a kind of ritual in the morning because I write in the morning and I, I go, I grind my coffee, whole coffee beans. I have a little hand grinder and I, you know, pack up my coffee. My ritual in the morning is all about me basically seeing my mind so that I can get, though, so I can, instead of making, because I don't want to make, I, I, I want the lucid dream. So when I go to write, I am open to the experience of, let's say, the character seeing the vault of money, open to the experience of the character, you know, you know, uh, 
taking the sardine so that I'm open to these worlds of experience and emotional experience and, and can write them down. But yesterday I wasn't writing. So I went through my ritual. I was gonna go mountain biking with a friend of mine, but my friend said, I'm not gonna be there on time. So now I was sitting around having conducted my ritual, right, emptying my mind and I didn't have anything to do. So I drew those pictures yesterday for myself as I was trying to understand this issue of amplitude. I also, I saw an email from a student and it made me think about stories and, you know, how to help everyone write a better story and how to help myself write better stories. And, uh, and so that's what came flooding in on me yesterday when I had this sort of suddenly empty time where I wasn't doing anything. Um, which I'm thankful for. That's, that's the product of, uh, it's the product of actually engaging in a ritual, which I really suggest to all of you um, to have a kind of ritual with your writing. Okay, Ram, tell me a little bit about this work. Yeah, so uh, this is not something that I had really planned to write. So while I was working on my primary project, uh, because of certain reasons, I hit a patch where I was not able to write. So then I said, I have to sit and write. So I have to put those words on paper, but it is very easy to say, but very difficult to do. So then I, in one of the writing groups, they had given out a prompt and they said, you write a story. It was a horror prompt. They said, you write a story and submit it. So we'll put it in an anthology. I didn't make the deadline, but I said, okay, why, why not take that prompt so that there is a kick in the backside so that I can write. Uh, so I took the prompt. Uh, so, and I started writing. I'm not going to, I cannot submit it for the anthology because the timeline has passed and it was harder, something which I have not tried before. So I said, let me try a different exercise. Like you say, you have to keep exercising the muscles. So I said, let me try something different. And uh, that's where we are. And this is like maybe about one. Okay, great. Okay, uh, this is about one third. Okay, so um, tell me a little bit about about your experience of writing. It, it, I mean, because because when I read it, I sense that you're having fun. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, so so can you can you yes can can you talk a little bit about like why yeah. Yeah. slash how you had fun when you were writing this piece? Uh, Yes, absolutely. So I was thinking a lot about what you what you have been uh, telling us about voice, about uh, about the point of view about voice, and I also uh, refer uh, referred back to what you had told on my previous piece, and uh, then I realized that uh, yes, I had been making a lot of mistakes on voice. So I said that okay, I don't want to write this in the first person voice. I want to write it in third person, but this is. I am trying to report or I'm trying to write what my protagonist is seeing. That is what I tried. So I don't know if I got that. I'm sure I made mistakes, but that is what I was trying to do. And I had a lot of fun because when I compared this with how I had written the previous pieces, I could see a huge difference. And this, this had a lot more emotional impact. Also, I showed this to my wife and uh, uh, my wife liked it. And my wife read Charles Dickens when she was like 10 years old. So uh, I have some tough competition over there. She said, yeah, this is nice. So <laughs> I know that uh, uh, somewhere there yeah. has been some improvement, but I had fun. Yeah, because it was something very different. 
and i have i have never appreciated any horror movie or story i have slept through most of those because i didn't get scared so it was also difficult for me to imagine something that probably supposed to scare people right okay um well i like having you know that that intentionality i think is really good so that's part i think you know when we talk about creating the lucid dream right so that's not the lucid part well, I, i mean sorry it's that's not the dream part but it's kind of that lucid thing you have some kind of aspiration you're trying right. to go somewhere yeah. and i think that that's a positive thing to have like you have that kind of thing you know driving you along whether it's driving you or i actually when it comes to ideas of negative capability and things like that i actually think of it more you know the artistic the, the, the artistic state is sort of one of like low pressure Mm-hmm. It's like low pressure welcomes in the high pressure. It's sort of like we're a weather system. We create a low pressure within ourselves, a kind of emptiness, and in that the world comes in. Wow. And uh That's and I think and I think you 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 know, but at the same time you are you're making but you're just making a little bit. You're just sort of like trying to direct a little bit, but you're basically mm-hmm. letting in and you're letting in this character mm-hmm. particularly. Um Shravani I know clearly that she is the protagonist here right right so right. Th- these marks that I've made so mm. this is this is a little this is sort of like a technical thing that I really want to offer to everyone I think I've said before like the first thing that you have to do with according to me is identify who the protagonist is who are you writing about the protagonist is not a good person or a bad person the protagonist is the person who struggles against the environment the forces of antagonism we call them and will eventually be changed by that struggle it will get to a catalyzing point and they come out the other side transformed in some way that's positive ending regardless of how they're transformed or not transformed and from my point of view that's a tragic ending so that means that they've had the struggle and it has achieved nothing they've remained the same so there's no value in a sense to the struggle of existence in that story and that's a tragic ending from my point of view it's a comic ending or a light up if they are transformed even though they're not at all the same they've been transformed by their experience and that's positive because it basically it makes the point that our struggles in life lead to something right so it doesn't matter whether it's what we might consider good or bad something it's that it leads to something and that's positive as opposed to the other scenario in which we struggle against life and it leads to so that's the that, that's the dichotomy right nothing is bad something is good it is not good and evil it's nothing and something so actually um, i had a question here uh, the, and so, sorry 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 please go ahead sorry to interrupt here oh let me just make this point so the the thing that i've suggested to everyone and i suggest to myself too is that we identify the protagonist and get them on the page and so i want to say you do that and i and you consistently maybe like you say maybe there's a, a couple of places where you go off but that's fake mis- you know that's 
that comes in time and blah, blah, blah. But you definitely differentiate the point, the protagonist who I'm now imagining and I now am rooting for, she's going to have experience and she's going to be transformed by it. And I can delineate, you have delineated for me the forces of antagonism in the beginning, this child, the, her son, and then later on, other forces of antagonism, right? Yes. We'll come story. Yes. But they're clearly delineated because you're writing from her, from um, Shravani's point of view. The other characters will not be delineated unless you do that. Sighting and point of view is the thing that orders the experience for me and allows me to, to delineate between who is the protagonist, who I see everything through, and everyone else who is a force of antagonism. Right. Very, very positive start. Um, and so, and the thing I was going to tell you that was just technical, just going from this first thing, and this is something that I've offered to everyone. This is something that we just can do. So uh, it's, it, there's no artistic, <laughs> there's no artistic necessity here, right? We need to differentiate between, we need to decide who our protagonist is. So that can be a struggle. Mm -hmm. Try to do that. Then paragraph that protagonist. So I have it in green here. And then I want this to be a new paragraph, right? Nice. I want to have a voice mumbled from the behind okay. the closed door. I want to separate on the page, right? right? And and I've said before, but I, but but I'll I'll continue. We do want to have the protagonist and the forces of antagonism finally be equal, and that yeah. does mean in a vague way that we want them to have equal representation on page, right? Right. So if we have okay. a paragraph about Travani, we want a paragraph about the kid too. So that we know that we have an equal uh, struggle because without equal struggle, there is no what's going to happen. Right. If it's unequal struggle, the stronger wins. We don't. Want so we hmm. want to present equal struggle and we always are presenting equal struggle in a story that works. Right. But but beyond that, first separate. And once you see, you can see that you're giving one, two, three lines to your uh, protagonist. And you're only giving one line to your antagonist. And so that's kind of a clue to you that you hold your antagonist more. There's mm -hmm. no problem, no mistake being made. But once we separate the two from each other, then we witness with our eyes that we're not giving mm -hmm. equal treatment to both. And then we do. This is just technical mm. things that we can push ourselves through. Mm. Then a new paragraph to when we return to Shravani. So I always want to kind of make paragraph by paragraph, protagonist, force of antagonism, protagonist, forces of antagonism. Sometimes I want to join the two that might take place. And in a sense, you know, those, remember I was talking about the moments of amplitude. The moments of amplitude are kind of a joining of things. So like, remember Bonnie, we open up the vault, she money, I'm joining Bonnie and the money. That's an amplitude. Then we separate again and we go down to the picnic, joining Bonnie and Clyde through the sardine scene, as I call it now. 
Um, so we do have moments join them and those are amplifications. I think we can think of it that way, but in general, go back and forth. Um, with, that, with that third, you know, I don't want to get too um, But anyway, so I think that that's, I think that that's a very good start. Wait, you were going to say something wrong. What was I going to say? Yes. Uh, so you you mentioned about the character's uh, uh, evolution. The character is something in the beginning, and uh, there is a series of experiences, and the character has transformed at the end of it. Right. So this is something that I was thinking, and in fact, uh, I even had a uh, Ashini and I we were having a chat on that. Uh, if you look at some of the uh, books, let me let us take uh, thriller thrillers for example. Right. So James Bond novels. Uh, James Bond in a book is what he's in the beginning. He's not transformed at the end. In book two, he starts at the same spot as he was in the in book one. Right. So there we don't see that transformation, but they're hugely popular. So I was trying to understand: is there something that I am not uh, getting about uh, the transformation, or is there something else to it? Well, if you, you know, so Hollywood. I mean, so I don't know the books, but but the Hollywood movie, the 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 idea of the character, the idea of a character going through this at the beginning and the end, is, I think, in a sense, kind of prob it, it's problematic for what a story to mm -hmm. do. Finally. Uh, a story is meant to be about a struggle of protagonist. I mean, we're talking about like something way, maybe in a sense, a little bit off topic. Okay. Um, but to me, that kind, of, uh, that kind of story, I actually class as a kind of propaganda. I class that propaganda. Okay. So what happens in the James Bond story is that we we have the man who's independent, strong, and capable. Mm -hmm. He is tested through various forces, and mm -hmm. we arrive at the end where the man is independent, strong, and capable. Right. So that is, um, that is for me, it's a kind of agenda about, in that case specifically, a sort of male efficacy mm -hmm. that I don't, I actually, I think it's false. <laughs> I think it's just false. I think it's wrong. Uh, you know, the, 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 the ending story of life, that does not represent life. We don't have the egotistical, uh, self-centered, independent, strong man who is then tested and then arrive at the end of having the strong man reaffirmed. Mm. That's not that's not true to life. Uh, right, so no, I agree with you. I agree. I agree. Uh, there, right. And 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 that that is of basically uh, ninety. I'm going to make up a statistic, of course, let's say 98% of wood movies. And it's a basically kind of masculine propaganda mm -hmm. that the, you know, that the protagonist character ascends as with complete integrity. To me, that's not life. Life's, if we're lucky, if mm -hmm. we're lucky, life, we're chanted and we are transformed by the challenge. Mm -hmm. And therefore we move to a new state 
a new, I mean, that's, that's the luckiest scenario. Mm -hmm. Many of us in our lives are never actually challenged in that way. And it's never, we just live that monotone experience where we remain the same. That's not advantageous, I don't think. So, mm -hmm. but anyway, but, but to get, whether you do that or not. Okay, so if you wanna see a movie with information that's of that type, um, one of the big examples is Chinatown mm -hmm. with uh, Jack Nicholson in it. So that's a story about a character who began, he's trying to escape his past, personal past that we don't know at the back. He's very slick. And as we go through the story, he basically becomes emotionally involved. Again, he's, try, he's tried to escape his emotional attachments, but he becomes emotional again. That's the transformation. And he experiences, he's trying to flee pain in the beginning, flee pain. And at the end, he experiences pain. Okay. Um, it's a, a textbook in story, uh, in, in character arc. It's a textbook. It's a master course in it. But the, yeah, so we, we, could, we could talk a lot about Hollywood and propaganda. It's a topic that, that rankles me for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm not necessarily, art. no, I agree. See, uh, what I was trying, what we were trying to understand, me and Ashwini, was that uh, there are a lot of other such books where you don't see a marked transformation in the character. So even if I take Harry Potter books, for example, maybe apart from the first book and maybe the last couple of books in the series, in the middle, book two, three, four, five, Harry Potter is what he's, whatever he was in the beginning, by the end of the book, he's exactly the same. Yeah. I, I, so to me, that's a kind problem. of, it's, it's an extreme if, if it's, so, so it's propaganda. I mean, the, the, the thing is we, 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 we want, we want the story right. of individual efficacy and, uh, and the, the dominance of ego you know to to succeed we want that story because that 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 nobody that in in story in story writing you know I, i've heard it said and and now it the only thing we know about our characters for sure and basically about everyone on earth it seems to me is that we do not want to change mm -hmm. a story is about change mm -hmm. So this is going back to most of us in our lives will be lucky to have a story in which we're confronted by uncles so grave that we will in fact change. Most of us will never have that experience. So what we do, and the reason good stories are popular, I will argue, is that we take this sort of exquisite and unusual circumstance actually having a story actually being confronted by experiences that change you and we frame them and highlight them look at this and we're trying in a sense to tell tell our reader that transformative experience for good or bad forget good or bad to have it mean something is more important 
than it to have it mean nothing. And so if, if we're saying legitimately that James Bond starts as A and goes through a story and ends at A, for me, that means nothing has happened. Mm. My argument, my argument then is also this. Remember about the protagonist and the antagonist being right. equals? Oh, no, and we he, wonder what's going to right. happen. Right. Well, well, let me ask this. In the in the case of James <laughs> Bond versus the world, right. is it even? No. Oh, it isn't, of course. It not. never was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. James Bond was always going to win. Yeah, and so absolutely. I never actually wonder what's going to happen. Right. But and I never go into a new territory. Sure. Never absolutely. understand anything new about the world. Right. So why the hell? I mean, this is, I mean, I watched James when I was 14 because I wanted to imagine, I wanted to be something. I don't watch James Bond now because it bores the snot out of me. Right. I mean, watching, watching this ridiculous, gratuitous violence, uh, oh, James Bond tortured. <laughs> Matter? Who cares? All you're doing is desensitizing me to violence because sure. Bond kills tons of people and he's tortured and in the end he's victorious. So there you go. Another <laughs> um, another patriarchal white man succeeds against all odds. Right. Wow, isn't he great? Right. No, my, my theory for the success of these books, whether it is Harry Potter or James Bond or any of these, is that I think as people, uh, when I look at a story, either I want to relate to it. So I can think that, oh, okay. So I, I did, let us say, I don't know, oh, let's take an example, right? Say Oliver Twist. So it is a boy who, who, to whom the world is unkind. So that is something that I can relate to because irrespective of who we are, we always feel that the world is unkind. So I can relate to that. The second kind is something where I know I cannot relate. I can never be in the shoes of a James Bond, but that is a escape route for me from the drudgery of daily life. It's a fantasy. I use it as an escape route. So I think it's there is nothing in between. So either so, which is why both these categories are very popular. That's that's my theory. Let's, let's say there's let's let's say there's in storytelling, right. there's a large there's a dominant trend towards adult male fantasy. Oh, is that so? Okay. The, I think we should all remember that if you want to be commercially okay. successful. <laughs> no, I'm not saying we should do that, but that's a fair point. Well, we see that. We I see mean, that too. I mean yeah, I think we see it, and we also, from my point of view, this is, we're getting into a much larger issue, but from my point sure. of view, we can also look around the world and see the damage that's been caused that story. Absolutely. That is very true. That is very true. So I think, I think it actually behooves us to challenge that story. Absolutely. Um, I, think that that's, I think that that's the role of the artist. The role of the right. propagandist is to reaffirm yeah. the story that we already believe is true. Right. Right. That's the difference between propaganda and art for me. Right. The, the propagandist tells us what we already think is true. The artist takes us to new ground. So I think we should be artists and not propagandists. Absolutely. That I, that I agree. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I'm in the job of empowering artists. And I am not in the job of empowering propagandists. So uh, no, that's my that's my calling. No, I'm um, with you on that. Let's get let's get yeah. back to your yeah. Yeah. because because this is this is actually relevant for your story and probably the most relevant sure. thing in it. 
So I think you've done a great job of getting point of view character mm-hmm. and you've got, and, and I want you to do a little more work in delineating okay. forces. Sure. But what we don't have, you're right, is that in the story, right? So in the James Bond story, James Bond is here. He gets, he's completely cool. He has a problem. Uh-oh, you're not going to be capable. At the end, he's capable. So there you go, propaganda. In, a, in, a, in an art story, let's say, we have the, the protagonist confronted with a problem of antagonism. And at the end, they merge. Mm. That's the transformation is this merger of the two. Right. Um, but both of these premises are established with who is the character beginning? What mm. is their issue? Right? So if the it, what is the issue? What is the problem of character that we solved? We also call this, I mean, the, the, the definitions of these things are somewhat different, but I, I try to put them together. But this is also the char- what character's fatal flaw. What's their problem that needs to be tested? Right? Let me give you, so actually, I don't want to give you that example yet because I don't want to go to movies just yet now. But this character of Shravani, right. what issue for which needs this story to happen to her? So this goes to an idea that I kind of have that like, okay, people talk about character and plot. Okay, I don't believe mm-hmm. in character and plot. Every character has their plot. Mm-hmm. Every plot has their character. Character and plot cannot be divided. So what that means is basically that Shravani must have this story happen to her right. so that she can be transformed yeah. on the other yeah. side. Yeah. Right. So, so in order for that to occur, right, let's go back to A and B. And we'll think of A, we're starting at A. And what I mean by A is who is the character now and her problem and that describes to me what's going to be, right? It's that problem that's confronted. It's that transformation that occurs. Um, so since we don't know that, here, with that, it can seem as if what's happening is completely gratuitous, mm-hmm. right? And... Right. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, maybe going back to Oliver Twist or James Bond is gratuitous. You know what? <laughs> these things are happening to you. And then there you are again. We need to know what the what the issue is. What is what is this character? And that's why we talk about the external struggle. This boy is her external struggle. What's her it's... internal struggle? That's the thing that's going to really get our attention so we have to know this character what is her bonnie her issue is that issue is that she's treated as um i want to say second class citizen but that's too easy you know she's uh you know poor living in the south she has no money her aunt's farm is going to be taken over by the bank. She gets no respect. She's treated as, uh, you know, ah, she's, 
she's a woman, so she's already got that, you know, uh, lined up against her um, in a in a man's. Um, so these are her issues that she is going to have to grapple with, you know, throughout the course of her of her story of her journey, and then be transformed and be, you know find a place this merger with that outside world in which she complete. That also happens to occur in a, you know, uh, and and it, it does sometimes in stories, in particular in movies we like, in a, a, a riddle of bullets, right? Mm. In death is merger. Sometimes in death is merger, but sometimes in our stories we have merger with the antagonistic forces that are not death. In Hamlet, merger is with death, but in... In transformation, we reach a kind of um, epiphanic enlightenment without that. Look at James Joyce's um, short stories, for example, and it's famously taught for this, Araby. Araby is a famous story that illustrates James Joyce's um, idea of epiphany, essentially. But epiphany is another way to describe what I'm talking about, the transformative experience at the end, the merger with the outside world. And, and in that, at least a momentary destruction of the ego. Yeah, a, a momentary destruction of the ego. That's not what James Bond gets. <laughs> so, um, yeah. but, Um, he gets a reaffirmation of the ego, and right. that's that's the that's where I, I, I have my bone of contention. I get your point because uh, so I do have that internal struggle, but uh, I think it is not coming out on the page as much as it should. So there is an internal struggle, uh, but it is not coming out on the page. I can so, see that. Uh, a, a simple way for us to understand stories is that stories. Stories have two patterns, basically. One of them is linear. I can describe that with all the things that I've done. But one of them is also circular. So like the mm. ending of the story returns the beginning in a sense. It returns mm. us. Mm. We understand the problem that's introduced. That's right. the start of the story. The problem that's introduced is a problem of character that is then confronted by plot, resolve the problem of character. In right. this way, like the so in my way of thinking, right, we can say the forces of antagonism, and we can say, oh, the forces of antagonism, they're evil. They're not evil. Right. They're a teacher of the protagonist. They are via through which the protagonist is able to ascend into a life of meaning, as opposed to James Bond's life. I just want to slap him down again. Right. Yeah. Um, Ram, you're, you have a great you have a great start here. I think I can really feel what I really want to emphasize is I can feel the fun you're having with writing from her point of view. Yes, so I did. Like once we, when we write from her point of view, then we start to have the little movie go off in our head. When we have the movie going off in our head and the reader reads, they have the movie go off in their head too. Oh, I'm so you glad we have to think of in this okay. story. Yeah, so that's great. Right. In this story, you are going to have to continue to work on shaping it. So now we mm. create a shape to this story. 
Okay. And it's moving us towards the resolution of whatever yes. problem you have not yet established beginning of character here, but right. great start. And I, I, I love the fun that you're having with it. That is, you know, you talk about a uh, fantasy world, right? That is definitely the first of the writer. That's right. the first drive of the writer. And it is the first drive of the reader. Right. They want to leave their life behind and they want to go into a fantasy of another kind. And right. that does explain why James Bond or Harry right. Potter are successful because they accomplish that. Mm. But there's an important distinction for me anyway, about what we're really aspiring for in a story. I mean, and that's, that goes to the difference between the noble calling of the artist and maybe the, the, whatever, the, the other, the, the other um, aspirations of consider the hack. Right. But not in a derogatory way, not in a derogatory <laughs> way. We're all trying to find our way to the same place. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I did have a lot of fun writing this, but it was not easy. Let me tell you that it was not at all easy because uh, the little Otis was sitting on my shoulder all the time. <laughs> well, you're, you're on the right track when you go into the other world. Right. That's all I got to say. Right. Like I, in college, in, in college, I mean, and yes, there are going to be times that we write that adolescent male fantasy if we are prone to adolescent male fantasy and we feel like we need it. That's, that's okay. If we need it, we need it. So do it, but then do it better. Right. When I was in college, I'd refer about uh, what they call American humor, like pain. And instead of writing the paper, the strat, I escaped into the world of writing a story that was, that imitated the style of Mark Twain. And okay. That was it. It was just it was just papism. I didn't want to have to deal with about writing this paper, and I handed that in instead. And the professor said, "This is great. You still have to write that other paper." So there you go. <laughs> right. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Ashwani. Okay. Uh, anyone wants to add anything uh, here before we break? Ashwini, please. I just wanted a quick one. I wanted to hypothesize that uh, if you got your characters built very nicely and if you created the right kind of emotional roller coaster experience for your reader, you know, the amplitude, the arc of character, etc., etc., and you give them an excellent, you know, experience through the book then would he forgive you for not having your protagonist change at the end and remain the same? What's wrong with that? Um, would I? Um, I, I, will, I? I will feel disappointed. I personally, because I, because I'll feel disappointed because I'm reading because I want to go to a new story. So that's what I read. So you know that if we say like, oh, I read that book and I cannot look at the world the same way again. Well, that means, it doesn't mean that the world has changed, right? The world was the same before or after. I read the book, but I have changed. I, <laughs> when I devote time to reading something, life 
okay, so I will say life is so precious, right? I mean, I'm like, this is what we got. So life is tremendously precious. I spend that time reading that story. I do want, I want the verisimilitude, not just experience, because experience itself has plenty of, I started out not change. I started out like this and then I ended an experience not changing. That's my regular life. That's my life. I want to experience a life that's more than I experience. And, and I want to, I want to be transformed through that story so that I never look at the world the same way again. It's just, but Ashvani, this is our aspiration. We don't aspire to it. We definitely won't get to it. So let's at least aspire to that. And then we'll see where we end up. Call it good. Right? So we call it good. Back to Hemingway, no piece of work is ever, if it's only abandoned, we'll abandon the work and then we'll try again and we'll set that aspiration again. And this is the way we, we will lead ourselves. Um, so it isn't, I, I have been disappointed with books. There, you know, books that I've thoroughly enjoyed and I've been disappointed with their endings. But, um, the, the, simple, the simple solution for us is actually going back to my mentor who talked about hands and the wrists. He said uh, this simple thing, begin in action, end lyrically. What that means is we begin in action, which is the forces of protagonism and antagonism against each other. But we end something that's sort of inarticulate, that's like music. One of the best examples of this is, I think, the greatest American novel, and not for the reasons that most people teach it, The Great Gatsby. Read the last paragraph of The Great Gatsby again. Don't forget the rest of it. Just read the last paragraph to understand what lyricism does. It takes us to a place Remember I talked about writing as being about not thinking? The lyric moment is not thinking. When we think, we differentiate. When we don't think, we don't. Thank you. I enjoyed this conversation, but it does not take the place of typing. So I do expect it to be for every year to hand in 750 words. Please put your name on it so I can send it back to you easily. If you don't have the name that's also in your email, somehow associated with your email, then I can't send it back easily. And then you throw me into a world of chaos um, and meaninglessness where I have to sort through my emails and try and figure out where to send it. So please put your name on it, uh, Indic Academy, and a title, and that will be really helpful. But do hand in 750 words. Take this chance. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, what is, I have a very quick question. Very quick question. Uh, on the third page of my submission, you made a notation saying parallelism. So I didn't understand what that was. Made a notation that said what? Oh, parallelism. That's just a yeah. grammar thing. So okay. parallelism is that when you have you have a series or you have something on on two sides of a conjunction to be the same type of thing. And I just was I was just so I mean I can't even like it 
you have like dirt property. I can't almost think of three things that are like less alike each other. Um, okay. So it's just a it's just a tiny grammar thing. Don't no okay. not right. a big worry. Okay, kind of liked it. I, I mean, you know. You, the, the thing about rules, the way that we break, we rules because the way that w when we break them, it rises up. I mean, it's going back to the the sonnet, you know, right. you write your sonnet in iambic pentam pentameter right. because right. when you don't write it in iambic pentameter, then that rises, right? right? That means amplitude. Let's talk about it as amplitude. Forte, forte. Mm -hmm. So, so on the matter of breaking rules, this is what the guy who uh, taught me photography told me. He said, the rules are there. It doesn't mean you can't break them. But he said, before you start breaking the rules, master them first. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and break them for, break them for, for a reason. Of course, of course. <laughs> it's, it's easy to break stuff, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it is right. So, okay, so I think we better go, and I think we have. Yeah, thank you all. Thank you. So, thank you, everyone. We'll connect next Sunday again, and please do send in your writing pieces.